Hello and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Sararis, and we are here today to talk about the Cleveland Indians and Major League Baseball. Today's guest is someone I met through the beauty of baseball. I can now call Austin a friend because he just happened to be sitting in front of me during the Saturday night Met game last week. We had a really good conversation. He originally and his friends jumped into the conversation I was having with my uncle who I was at the game with and Austin and I kind of we're on the same wavelength here. We, we're thinking about baseball in the same way. So I pretty frankly asked, do you want to come on my podcast and talk about the Indians? And here we are to talk about life as a middle-class baseball team in a league being dominated by just a handful of super rich teams. But before I get to the conversation with Austin, I do have to remind everyone to help support the show. There's a couple ways to do it. You can signal boost on social media, whatever you see the podcast on, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Throw it, a share, a retweet, a like. Bump it somewhere else so other people can see it. The more people that see it, the easier it is for me to get better guests. The better guests we have, the more the show grows. It is a self-fulfilling cycle. It is why it is difficult to maintain a podcast over a long period of time. Aside from signal boosting, you can also help the show out a ton by following the show's feed on whatever social, excuse me, social media podcasting platform you prefer, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google, Google Play, all of those feeds this show will be there. If you are using Apple Podcasts, you do have a little bit of an added responsibility. If you do have a minute, please go to the show's homepage. Scroll all the way down to the bottom. There are going to be five purple stars that are clear. Hit the one furthest to the right. That's leaving a five-star review. Beneath that is a button with purple letters that says write a review. If you have an extra minute, please, please, please leave the show a review. The more reviews we get, the easier it is for other people to find the show and more people can join the community. Today's episode is Cleveland Indians centric. Now, for most of my friends who are East Coast based, you deal with the Indians as a Yankee fan every couple of years in the playoffs or in the regular season if you're both competing for a wild card if another team in that AL Central is competitive. Indians have had quite a few interesting playoff runs. Of course, they went to the World Series in 2016, lost to the Cubs in Game 7 in extra innings. A very interesting series, which Austin and I will unpack. Way, way back, long ago, Jabba Chamberlain had to fight midges for his life on the mound at Progressive Field. If it still might have been Jacobs Field back then, that was so long ago. But the Yankees and Indians have had some very interesting meetups. Of course, who could forget Ricky Vaughn and Clue Haywood in the 1992 American League one-game playoff? That was also very entertaining, but... Today's show is mostly going to be centered around life as a middle-class baseball fan. I hope you guys enjoy today's show. I will see you guys on the other side of the drop. four on the night. Eric Gonzalez tying run at first base. Two down, bottom of the ninth, 2-2 pitch, swung on, line drive, deep left field, back goes Gordon, he's at the wall, he leaps, he can't make the catch! Coming around third with a tying run 
Travis Gonzalez. Into second is Lindor. The Indians have tied it down to their last strike in the bottom of the ninth. And with that, I What's welcome up? on my new friend, Austin. How are we doing, bud? Doing great. It's a good day. It's a good day. I mean, I've got the Indians on one TV. I've got the Mets on another. I'm talking to you. We're just going to be two guys talking a little baseball. We're going to really unpack it. So, as always, the first time I have someone on the pod, got to start at the beginning. What are your earliest memories of sports, and how did you really immerse yourself in them to the point where it's sports mean what they mean to you? So, I mean, all throughout my whole life, I played sports. Back in, like, elementary school, I would play, like, every sport. Um, and baseball was always one of my favorite. I'd play coaches pitch. Uh, the first time I got called up to pitch, I actually let up five runs and, like, a grand slam. Um, yeah, so that wasn't a good outing, but I learned from that. I just love playing baseball. Um, and then more to that, me and my family would always go to Friday baseball games at the Jake, which is what it was called. And they would do sick rock and roll Hall of Fame fireworks shows. So those are always my favorite days. So you would say it was that you played baseball and that was kind of your entry point into it. And then from there, it's like, oh, I do this. So let me see people do it. And then it kind of just clicked for you in a way like it does for a lot of people. It's the same thing with me where baseball was the first sport. I really played a lot. So it was like, all right, I want to watch as much baseball as possible to see how people who are good at it do it. Yeah. Uh, And then, I I mean, baseball players were my idol. I actually loved Derek Jeter a lot. He was my favorite baseball player and still is to this day. Um, and he was just, I kind of like looked up to him my whole life. So. Okay. So when would you say it really kind of clicked for you that like, even as an adult now, sports are going to be like your thing, the rest of your life. Is there anything that stands out any specific moment? It doesn't just have to be baseball specific, but a specific moment that kind of clicked for you where it's like, wow, this is really all I want to do with my free time for the rest of my life. Uh Uh, So I go to Ohio State, where I graduated Ohio State, Um, and my freshman year was the 2016 year where we had Michigan at home, and we were rated number three, Michigan was rated number two, Uh, and Ohio State's just known for football. Everyone here loves football and looks forward to Saturdays, because that's everyone's personality at Ohio State. Um, So all the games are really fun, and Michigan especially, it's one of the greatest rivalries in sports. Um, and at that game with all my friends, uh, it was the triple overtime Curtis Samuel yep. touchdown. And the whole day, everyone was just happy. Um, I bought, I went to the bar and spent like a hundred dollars just giving people drink. Um, and that was just <laughs> the whole mood around there. And I think to this day, that'll be one of the best sporting events I will ever go to. But that's just when I realized like sports is awesome. It brings people together. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty lasting memory in my mind. Them getting the spot in overtime, them calling Michigan short of the goal. I mean, we'll definitely have you back down the road to talk Ohio State because the ethos of this podcast is football guy nonsense. So we'll definitely have that down the road. But circling back around, what kind of fan would you say you are? Optimist, pessimist, realistic? What's your mindset with your teams? Or is each team kind of different based on where they are? Uh, so I think everyone, every Cleveland fan is always an optimist. Mm-hmm. Um, just because every year we're like, the Browns are going to do it. It's going to be our year, which this year is different. 
And that's what all Cleveland fans say is this year's different, but this one actually is. Um, and I mean, as far as the Indians go, it's such a small market team. And I'm always optimist because when they get hot, they get hot. And that's what that run in 2016 was. Uh, and I like to hope for good things and kind of like pray into existence, <laughs> which, so I'm an optimist. Gotcha. So you mentioned it in there about being a small market team. How do you grapple with that as a fan in terms of your expectations where you feel that we have a really good group of guys, but you know, it's only going to be able to stay together for two or three years at a time before you have to kind of start that process over again, because you're not going to be able to afford to give these guys the big paydays that they're going to eventually want. Yeah. It's annoying uh, as a fan because we always breed such great players. We always have, especially pitchers uh, and our owners don't keep them but it kind of like I don't really have expectations going into seasons so anything they do that's better than average I'm happy about mm -hmm. so I just have no expectations <laughs> that's basically what my life has been as a Met fan so it, it, I, I completely understand your whole our owners are going to find a way to mess up this perfect situation I mean you look at what the Cubs the Cubs everybody thought the Cubs would be able to win two or three World Series with that group of guys they won that one World Series they went to the playoffs the next year, but since that, they've just slowly unpacked that team. The the older players who were key contributors retired or moved on to other places, and they traded away the guts of that team. The Rizzo, Baez, Bryant, the bones of that team are gone now, and it's a shame because, like we've talked about here, and we've only been doing this 10 minutes, fans are what make sports great. If they're playing in an empty stadium, the energy, it's not the same. We saw it last year where the juice just wasn't there, but if fans aren't there for the moments, it doesn't mean as much. Sports is supposed to be a collective thing, to your point about talking about Ohio State. They're collective, supposed to bring people together, be a positive thing. Not a, well, our owner does more worried about his bottom line as opposed to us fielding a competitive team, and that's always lingering in the back of your mind. It's, it's definitely a frustrating problem and something that, I don't want to say it's never been at the forefront, but it just feels that that specific conversation about the level of investment ownership wants to make, regardless of sport, has never really been at the forefront more than it is right now across all the four of the major sports. Yeah, so 2015, speaking of the Indians have continually had one of the worst attendances in MLB. And so it was 2015, and we had a doubleheader, I want to say, against Minnesota and one was like continuing the game in the middle of it. And then you buy one ticket for both. And we were in playoff contention against Minnesota. So those games were huge. And I want to say there was probably like 5,000 people there. And it was just a bummer. It like, I want, I know why players want to leave is because like their owners don't care about them. And there's no fans. And it's really frustrating as a fan because you're investing your time, your money, and that's all the team is going to do is they're going to send you the email. You want to buy a ticket plan? Well, no, not really. You're not investing my money into the team, so why should I give you my money anyway? And it's a never-ending cycle where the Indians have been doing this forever, to your point about they've had some really, really talented players come through that organization over the years, and they always go on to the, another team for a payday, whether it's Sabathia, whether it's Cliff Lee, whether it's Jake Westbrook, whether it's Grady Sizemore and the injuries, that's a little bit different. But you just, throughout, I mean, we're talking about it now, I mean, 
Clevenger is somewhere else now. Kluber was a little bit different because he got hurt but moved on somewhere else. Lindor somewhere else. And at some point, you just, why am I doing this to myself? I know we're never going to do this. I know we're never going to be able to maintain a competitive team for a long period of time. You really had to bring up Lindor. He was my favorite player. And it hey, sucks man, that it was I, the Mets because all my friends are Mets fans. It was going to come up eventually. It's better to get it out in the open now, and we'll come, we'll circle back around to it later on when we're talking about it. So you mentioned it before about 2015. They've had some really good groups, but they don't have as many playoff appearances as some of the other contenders we view as, like Oakland always pretty consistently in that wild card game, even if they don't win. Detroit had a decent run there. Toronto had an okay run. Baltimore, where Cleveland only has a handful. I think it's four postseason appearances in the last 15, 16 years. So I think it's only natural we gravitate towards the two that stick out. I talked about them in the intro before I got you in here. The World Series run and the Midges eating Jabba Chamberlain alive. So which one would you rather start with? The Midges eating Jabba or would you rather start with the World Series and unpacking that trauma? I, uh, as much as I don't want to, I want to start with the World Series against the Cubs. Okay, so let's start with the obvious. You get there. How confident are you feeling about the Indians going into that World Series based on how that season went? Uh, very, because that was the season we broke the win streak. And at that point, the Cavs had already won our championship. And so Cleveland sports was at a peak and everyone was actually talking about the Indians, which was different. And our playoff games were sold out. So I felt good. I felt good about it, especially after the first four games. As a reminder, the Austin is saying that because the Indians were up three games to one after four games. So continue, continue. Yeah. No, it was just the hype in Cleveland around like that Indians roster was insane. And we had the talent like Lindor was the face of baseball uh, and Ramirez is the goat. And our pitching staff was one of the best. Um, So I felt really good going into it. I actually put money on it too. (laughs) See, that's one of the things I've learned over time is I divest one from the other so i'm always winning at least one i call it emotional hedging where either i'm gonna win some money and my team loses or i'm gonna lose some money and my team wins so i rewatched five of the seven games from that series to kind of just get myself back in the mindset of what those teams were like kind of get a feel for where they were and i forgot how good Corey kluber was i know it's been a few years since Mm. he's been good at the big league level but he was pretty much unhittable. That game won seven and a third innings, one run, maybe I think three hits, just outright dominance. And it's a shame he had the elbow trouble because he really was the best pitcher in baseball there for a solid two or three year period. That's why I felt so comfortable uh, going into the World Series is Kluber was going to pitch at least twice, two times. Uh, and I always thought he was an automatic win because you know, he was the Cy Young. He was the best pitcher in baseball at the time. Um, and then I felt good about our rotation. Carrasco, Bauer. Um, but then Bauer had that drone incident, which was just annoying. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I went back and the two Bauer starts were the only ones where the Cubs were like locked in, locked in, and they were really hitting him hard early in the game. And to your point about the drone injury, he cut his hand dicking around with the drone during, I think, the divisional round, had to get stitches, tried to pitch with the stitches, the stitches popped, he had to come out. He never really had his command. It was an obvious issue. And then Josh Tomlin not great in the two starts he made in that world series which was unfortunate and you that we always see this come down to the world series when you've been burning your bullpen as much as you have to to get to a world series and you can't you got to have more than one starter if you want to win the world series unless you're madison bumgarner in the giants then you can just have him and that's a little bit different than everyone else but those in that indians team going through the lineup i I felt it was a better team going into that series than the Cubs. I felt the Cubs was a little bit more of the voodoo, the emotional high of getting there as opposed to being the more talented team. And I think that kind of played out. I mean, that game, that series went seven games. Cubs win in seven, but three of them were one-run games. Two of them were blowouts. And then the other two were reasonably average baseball games. And you have those three one-run games, and... I know there's no consolation in losing the World Series, especially considering the Indians haven't gotten close since. But at the same time, can you at least feel a little bit of accomplishment that your group of Indians from that specific year was able to make a run even though they didn't win? Can you at least reflect with hindsight and say, well, that was at least a really special something and I would like to see that again? Yeah, so all our whole lineup was, I loved all of them. They, I. I felt comfortable whenever they were up at the plate, like Rajay Davis stepping up to hit that home run uh, in the bottom of the eighth. I just felt good about all of them. All of them can hit. All of them could be the guy. And it just sucks how look at that roster and look how many are still there. Yeah. Now, Kipnis, Brantley, they were two Cleveland favorites. Everyone loved them. And then you had the young ones, Lindor, Ramirez. So, I mean, we – our management does a good job at building teams and growing players and then shipping them off. Yeah, I mean, that's, that is a natural occurrence, though. We see that the teams that have to spend their money smartly are really good at talent development because they have to be because they know they're not going to be able to court free agents or if they are going to trade for someone it's only going to be for a deadline run like they did with andrew miller who we haven't even mentioned him he was the best pitcher in that postseason of anybody he gave up one run the entire playoffs and it was a home run in the world series and that was really one of the first times we've seen a team use their best reliever as a weapon not just in a save situation or trying to prolong the game Andrew Miller would be coming into games in the sixth inning with runners on base and Terry Francona would say, I need you to give me three innings here. You can't let up any runs because we don't know how many we're going to score. And the dude did it. He was fucking lights out that entire postseason. I was always confused on why Miller was more of a setup and not our closer, but Tito's mind is different. He's one of the best coaches of all time. And whatever he does, I trust. There's been so many times where he'll do a pinch hit that doesn't make any sense and then pays off. He is one of the greatest minds in baseball. And I think that's why we're having such a below average season currently. Uh, But we can talk about that later. Yeah, we're going to get to Tito. But yeah, but continue on Andrew Miller. He was just dominant. You know, no one could touch his stuff. And I honestly felt more comfortable 
with him up on the mound than our actual closer. Do I actually forget his name? Uh, Cody Allen. Wasn't Cody yeah, Allen? Cody Allen. Yeah, yeah. Cody Allen scared all Cleveland fans. <laughs> so. That's one of the things that I really, it really stood out to me in that series rewatching those games was how both teams were so aggressive using their bullpen where the Cubs were having Chapman throw three innings and, you know, Chapman can barely get any, anyone out now. So that was kind of weird to watch. And same thing with Andrew Miller, where he's coming in in the seventh inning and they're trying to get three innings out of a closer, which is unconventional thinking but it kind of makes sense in the vacuum of you want your best reliever to pitch at the most important points of the game which is something we're seeing a little bit more frequently now especially come the postseason where we're seeing starters come in towards the end of games to try and close things out that kind of thing so last thing on that world series before we move topics if they play that world series 10 times how many times do you think the indians win Five, I six. Is it that kind of a coin toss the series? Line, is Kyle Schwarber there? Because I hate Kyle Schwarber. Uh, I think we win at half. I think it's a coin flip at that point. Because yeah. both teams were talented. We are probably the more streaky team. Yeah. But That's the danger of the small that. sample. That's the yeah. danger of only best of seven, you know. Sometimes it really does come down to a coin flip and you have weird things like that play in the outfield. I think it was in – I forget if it was in game six or seven where your center fielder and right fielder both ran for the ball and neither of them called for it and it just bounced and the Cubs got an entire rally out of it. It's just weird shit like that happens. And if you, you're you on the wrong side of the coin flip, you lose the game. And it sucks, but that's just kind of the way sports are, especially baseball and especially hockey where you get weird shit like that. I was a betting man. I'd say we would take half, maybe even the six. Six out of yeah. six out of ten. Final answer. Okay, that's a reasonable estimation. I think six out of ten is fair. I, I would call you on your bullshit if you were being over optimistic, but that's a realistic number. Ooh, I just looked over and is that to Oscar? Yeah, three nothing Jays. Oh well. Oh, poor damn police hack. Right. This is a big so, game too. Yeah, I mean, you're hanging around. You're only a couple out of that second wild card, but, you know, it's rough. You guys trade away a couple guys at the deadline just to kind of get some extra assets in the pipeline, but it's never been about this year for the Indians. So we'll we'll transition now to the talking about the team in the present tense. Aside from Jose Ramirez, and I'm trying to think who else would be known nationally in baseball. I mean, Ahmed Rosario was a Met for a while. Fran Mill. Bieber, I was going to get to talking about the rotation, because like to mm-hmm. your point earlier that Cleveland always produces good pitchers. But in terms of just feeling confident in your baseball team, who inspires confidence in you on your team right now? Uh, no one but J-Ram. <laughs> yeah, okay. no one. And Fran Mill, I do love Fran Mill. I just think he's a swaggy guy, and he can pimp mm-hmm. a home run at any time. But honestly... Cesar Hernandez is not the best leadoff hitter. Um, And going into the season, it was kind of a bunch of no-names to me. So So it was like the opening of Major League, the guys sitting around the diner reading the newspaper, who the fuck are these guys kind of vibe for this season? Exactly. Okay, okay, I got you. So talking about the team right now, you mentioned it before about Tito being one of the better managers in baseball history and how much he means to the team. And 
he hasn't been right this year. He has the hip thing that's bothering him. He has a, a lower body thing where he's been in a walking boot for most of the season. Last week, announced he was going to step away from the team for the rest of this season. And to your point about just, you know, the gut instincts and the hunches, how much does not having Tito hurt as a fan just in terms of confidence in the decisions on a night-to-night basis? So I want to say that every player on the team trusted Tito, and they would never uh-huh. question him. Uh, and with our new guy, his name like DeMarlo Hale, yeah. yeah, he was our bench coach. He's our new guy, and I just feel like when he makes – questionable calls there won't be as much confidence and that will play into the game have like shaky at bats because people aren't confident so it sucks but my hope is that they rally for tito so they mm-hmm. play the rest of the season for tito which would be awesome to see make a deep playoff run just for frank Tona. So you're describing the plot of Major League Two when Lou Brown is in the hospital. Yeah, I got you. I, I, there are I a lot of so. parallels here. There are a lot of parallels here. That Good movie baseball was movies. Very accurate. I will tell you that. Uh, uh, okay, so talking about the team right now, aside from uh, Ramirez, who, Jose Ramirez, who's one of the best, one of the more underrated players in baseball because he plays in Cleveland and doesn't get the national attention. I mean, I like Franmil Reyes. He's got nice, fancy baseball stats. He hits the ball, the shit out of the ball, really mm-hmm. high barrel rate, one of the better in the league. Who else on this team is at least surprised you pleasantly? Because you mentioned before you looked at the lineup and you, coming into the season and it was a bunch of no names. Who's given, been a pleasant surprise for you this year so far? So Bradley Zimmer has been fairly decent. Mm-hmm. I've known him. I believe we got him. From the Yankees I don't know exactly how but I remember him in our farm system and I remember that year I wanted to call him up because he is good and he's been decent this year nothing too exciting um and then Harold Ramirez which mm. always gets me confused when notifications pop up between Jose uh, he's been very decent too um he's been solid someone we could rely on what would you say is the team's biggest need at the moment, just in terms of, is it a bat? Is it health? Because I know both Bieber and Savale are hurt. Uh, is it health? Is it a bat? Is it another starter? Is it a high leverage reliever? What is aching the team this year that it hasn't, it's had in years past that it doesn't have right now? I think our leadoff position. Um, okay. Back in 2016, I don't know. Do you know who our leadoff hitter was? I'm trying to. Th- I'm looking. I'm looking at your lineup. Was it Lonnie Chisenhall? No, it was Carlos Santana. Was it and that really? Was because yeah, it was a weird call, but it was always because he could get on base. Yeah, very similar to Major League. Um, so he could get on base, and that was one of those calls where Francona made that I questioned, and then it worked, so I stuck with it. Um, he definitely changed it up some days, but a lot of the time it was Carlos Santana. Um, And that just gave opportunities for Lindor and Ramirez in the second and third spot to make something out of it early in the game to get a good start Mm -hmm. and feel more confident. So I do think our leadoff position is something we could work on as a team. Just finding that right person. That that definitely makes sense. I mean, I've checked in on the Indians a couple times. I've watched a lot of their games against the White Sox just out of interest, just to kind of get a vibe, check on where Cleveland's at and where the White Sox are in relation to that to kind of see if maybe Cleveland could give them a run. The series over the weekend was pretty pretty rough for the Indians. I know the White Sox have kind of 
I don't want to say they're the contender in the American League because I still think Houston is better, but is it kind of frustrating realizing that pretty much no matter what you did this year as the Indians, you were always going to probably be playing for second place because of how good the White Sox are? I don't... So, early in the season, we were in first, and I think what happened was our... We got unlucky. Bieber Hmm. going out was a big loss because Bieber's an automatic one win every five games. Um... He was lights out. He was. I loved watching him pitch. Um, I usually tune in for him. I, I make sure I watch that game. Um, and then just a few other injuries. But, I mean, the White Sox are good. And mm. I didn't have expectations to win the division, but I thought we could secure a wild card spot easy. I always thought we'd win around 86, 88 games. I actually have, like, a betting pool with one of my <laughs> family friends. Um and my number was 86. So, okay. They hit that. I'll be so in the money. So, in a normal year, is that your expectation for the Indians most years? Be around in the ballpark of 90 wins and in that contention for the wild card spot or to win the division if it's a particularly soft year? That's your realistic expectation most years? If it's a soft year, like it has been over the recent years, our division's been pretty easy. Until, you know, the White Sox came along and the Twins have been okay. But the Tigers have sucked for the past six years. You know, they were really good. And I just remember feeling defeated about them and them always winning the division. Um, But usually, you know, it is harder this year. That is a normal, typical Cleveland expectation. That way, you know, if they don't make playoffs, you're not too hurt. And if they do, Mm -hmm. it's just awesome. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's about where I've been with the Mets for most of my adult life. So I definitely can understand that whole, we just got to be in the mix for a wild card by the deadline. Maybe we'll add something. We can stay in the mix for a little while longer. Maybe we get someone going crazy like they did with Cespedes in 2015. I mean, it. it's really, at some point, you kind of question why you're doing this to yourself, rooting for a team that, you know, doesn't really give you any signs of life for long stretches. But this year in particular, it's been kind of weird, to your point, for the Indians, because Bieber's been out. And, you know, having that guy, you know, one of the five best pitchers in baseball in your staff, like you said, that's a win every fifth day, you know. Yeah, and I feel like it, it's just demoralizing for a team Yeah, and their fans. I, I'm a big pitcher guy. I love watching duels. I Like, I wish the Mets game we went to was, like, a no-hitter. <laughs> That'd be way more exciting than the Mets getting blown out. But... <laughs> It was electric just to see Shane Bieber, who was leading the league in strikeouts, pitch every week. And as a fan, I looked forward to that. Now, I would, when I was up in Cleveland, I would plan my games around Kluber pitching just to yeah. go see them because it's awesome to see. And I feel like when you don't have that big star every five days, fans don't pay attention as much. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I remember that one. It was, I think, I'm pretty sure it was a Saturday night. The Yankees were in Cleveland, and Cole was pitching against Bieber, and I remember being like, I'm not doing anything tonight. I'm staying in. I'm watching this. I'm locked in. And it lived up to the hype. It was a real pitcher's mm-hmm. duel for seven innings. It was fucking electric. Yeah, my, my the greatest pitching duel I've seen was uh, Coy Kluber in his prime with the Indians against King Felix. Yeah. Uh, and they both went around eight innings. It was awesome. 
Yeah, I mean, I always get into this debate with people about if I prefer a pitcher's duel or a high-scoring game, and they both have their perks. To your point about watching two guys just try and outcraft each other, there's definitely something to that. But at the same time, you know, I think about that one game in the Angels, not the Angels, the Dodgers-Astros World Series, that was like 13-12 to 12 in extra innings. I mean, that was pretty exciting, but I think a pitcher's duel is more pressure-filled, it's more exhilarating because you know one run can win a pitcher's duel and in a 15 to 14 kind of game there's more contributors and yeah that might be a bit more exciting but i think i'm in the same boat as you where i do prefer a pitcher's duel i mean either are fun to watch when i go to a game that's what i want to see one of those two because a medium game where like the game we went to the mets lost by what like six i think it was yeah i think the final yeah that was rough yeah, we left at, like, during the seventh innings. We just wanted to get, beat traffic. You know, those games <laughs> aren't fun. Yeah. Like, if you're going to make the trek out to a game, you know, you'd like to see a good game, especially with how ridiculous some shit is. So, about the team and your state of mind, at some point, do you feel like the dam has to break and Paul Dolan has to sell the team? Or do you feel that he is going to own the team in perpetuity and pass it down to his children and the cycle will continue forever? I hope he sells the team, first of all. <laughs> just going to state that. And especially after our new recent name change. By the way, it yeah. should be the Guardians. So I want you to like change that throughout the whole podcast. Guardians, not Indians, please. Um, okay. So many... I'm kidding. Uh, so many fans are outraged by that, which I am too. Uh, we can get to that later if you want, but I don't like the name change. I understand why, but it was just a stupid name. We could be something way cooler. Um, but a lot of people hate the Dolans for that too. So not only are they mad that he doesn't do anything to win, also just changes the whole fan base. Um, so hopefully we'll get enough of our voices heard and he'll sell the team, but who knows? Uh, so, if it wasn't the Guardians, what would you have liked it to have been? Were you a Spiders guy? Because I know there was a no. mass of people who wanted that. I, I didn't like Spiders either. Um, the two I were liked they... okay. were the Rockers. I like the Rockers. Okay. Does that actually makes sense for Cleveland? Like, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. That'd be dope. Um, and then one that was really stupid, but I thought would be funny, was the Municipals. <laughs> the Cleveland Moonies. That would be kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah, we Browns games you tailgate in the municipal lot, the muni lot, yeah. so that'd be fun. Um, yeah. but yeah, the Guardians is stupid. It's named after a stupid statue that I didn't even know existed in Cleveland. So yeah, no, I, I I saw the initial name and I was like Guardians. That's kind of like generic and boring. And then I saw someone in the replies with like the picture of the bridge. I was like, that makes sense. It's very vanilla and boring. I mean, it could be worse. It, it, it makes could sense be worse. For- no one in Cleveland knows what that is or where it is or what it means. Like, there's yes. no relevancy. Yeah, I think Cleveland Rockers is actually pretty good. I I, I yeah. do agree with you there. That would have actually made sense and kind of, you know, the let other people know what the team is because where it's from. That does make sense. Of who's left on this team, who is the utmost importance of keeping? I mean, I know they have team control on Jose, on Bieber for a few years now, but eventually they do have to get competitive again so of the secondary pieces who are on the team right now who do you feel has to stay going forward of the Ahmed Rosario type people on the team of the police act type people on the team I so 
this is this is my like honorary mention, Tristan McKenzie, because I think he will be a good pitcher in the near okay. future. And he just has to work on mechanics. Um, but I really want James Karinchak to say. Okay. I, I feel like he's our real life version of Wild Thing, which is <laughs> on the back of my shirt. Yeah. Um he is just so dominant when he pitches. Yeah. And he if we were to make a World Series run, he would be our Andrew Miller. Yeah. And as Looney, I don't know if you know this, but he's just a nut job on yes. uh, social media. He, yeah. So he's crazy. Go look look up. <laughs> he's a big anti-vaxxer, big loony. But he's still a great pitcher, so I would like him to stay as long as he can. <laughs> okay. Okay. So – if the Indians are going to be competitive again in the not-so-distant future, do you think it's more of a situational, like you said, where they got hot at the right time? Or do you think that there is a realistic path towards building a sustainable team with the cost control guys they have now? Or do you think it kind of has to be some marriage of the two where it's a perfect storm of a situation where the rest of the division isn't great, the rest of the American League isn't great? Like, the 2016 run they went on, they were the hottest team. I don't know if they were the best team. Do you think it kind of has to be that kind of thing because of the artificial limits that ownership imposes on the talent? I, I really do. I think the cards have to line up like it did in 2016 to have such a mm. deep run. Because um, even last year, uh, our playoff run was pretty lame. <laughs> um, but I think the, we have to get hot at the exact right moment, not too early which I'm surprised we didn't peak too early in 2016 because that win streak should have been our peak, but we kept rolling. I think it was yeah. just because everyone was so confident. Um, so we need confidence. And honestly, the biggest thing is picking up players at the deadline, which we didn't do mm. this year that well. Uh, we didn't pick up as many pieces as we should have. Um, or maybe we just get an owner like Steve Cohen so we could buy big plays. That would be my dream. Yeah, I mean, he's got enough money. He could buy all 30 teams in baseball and still have a couple billion left over. He could, if he wanted to, turn it into, like, what the XFL is, where one person owns all the teams. They could definitely do something like that. So, in terms of the rest of the season, you said going on a run for Tito because he can't be there because of his medical situation. Who's fueling the second-half miraculous comeback if it were to happen? Who would be have to be the driving force? Who would have to go on, like, a Cespedes-type 15 home runs in 25 games kind of heater to get that going for the Indians this year? So, as good as J-Ram has been this year, mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen what he's capable of, and I think he can go on a bigger, more explosive run and just be more dominant and take control of games. Um, so I think Jose Ramirez really needs to step up, especially because this is his team. Um, and it will be great experience for leadership. Mm. Um, and then Cesar Hernandez definitely needs to step it up and just provide consistency at our one spot. Mm. And then once all those wheels are turning, we'll rally for Tito. So I have to circle back around to it because I said we were going to table it for a little while. Talk to me about the Francisco Lindor experience in Cleveland for a little bit, because when we were at the game, you mentioned he's your favorite player ever. Why? Unpack it for me. Explain. Yeah. So I was, I've always been in love with shortstops. I don't know why. That's why Derek Jeter was also one of my favorite players ever. Um, and I mean, when he came to Cleveland and started, 
he was just so genuine. He was funny. And he was someone you can root for, uh, you know, from the Dominican Republic. Right? Yeah. Puerto Rico. Right? Puerto Rico. I mix yeah, those up he all the time. Yeah. Him, Correa, and um, Baez are the infield. That's how I remember it because they're yeah. all on the same team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just someone that you could root for. And he mm. was funny in his interviews. And he always had that smile, which is why we called him Mr. Smile. Um, yeah. And then he was the face of baseball, which made him even more likable as a Cleveland fan. Having someone from this small market team be loved by everyone in that MLB. Um, and then his game, his fielding especially. Oh, it's amazing. There was the one play in the World Series. I forget what game of the series it was where it was such a slow roller back up the middle. It went through the pitcher's leg. He went from normal shortstop about halfway between second and third behind second base in the outfield grass and threw someone out at first base. And I was just, how do you do that? I just don't understand how you have that good of body positioning and control where not even just get to the ball, be able to get the guy out at first after doing all that just to get there. Just amazing. As as an insane hitter as he is, his fielding is the best part about him. I mean, he is the true uh, five-tool star. And it showed, especially during that 2016 season, everyone is excited, rallied behind him. He was the one that hit that walk-off to continue our streak. Yeah. So when he got traded, it was devastating. I mean, I knew it was happening for a long time. I knew, like, going into the season, he was going to be traded. Um, I made some posts tagging the Dolans. They didn't get it. But anyways, when he was traded, uh, you know, some things came out about what he did when he was in Cleveland, like he hated the nickname Mr. Smile. He thought Cleveland mm. fans were too lazy. Lazy. I thought it was a good nickname. Uh, and then game seven of the World Series during that rain delay, he fell asleep, which is something like I can't even get my head around. Like it's the biggest game of your life and you're going to take a nap. Why not focus? But hey, I, I, as someone who's fallen asleep during a rain delay before sitting in the clubhouse, it's okay. I, I, I completely understand. It, 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 you don't know how long the rain delay is going to be. You figure, I got some time. You figure maybe 45 minutes, go back in the tunnel, run, get the blood rip pressure going again. I definitely understand it. But of the things that stand out, the Grand Slam off of Chad Green is still the one that's in my brain, probably. That's probably the most iconic, like play of Lindor's career in my brain I mean there are probably more you can mention like you said the one to extend the streak something defensively but that home run off of Chad Green just god damn was that awesome yeah he's a beautiful man makes beautiful plays at the right time um so that's why he was my favorite and I miss him dearly and the poor Mets, man, every single player who comes to the Mets just gets soft tissue injuries and, you know, they don't drink enough water. They're dehydrated. They get hurt swinging the bat. Like everybody gets hurt swinging the bat like Lindor did, DeGrom did, Taiwan Walker did. There's just whatever the Mets are doing isn't working because whoever whoever comes here, you get hurt swinging for some reason. Like, you know, you haven't taken 15 million swings from the time you were five years old. You just forget how to do it as a major league player. I mean, I wish Lindor the best in his future, and I still root for him. Especially, mm. like, you met some of my friends. A lot of my friends are Mets fans, mm-hmm. so they rubbed it in for a while. But, I mean, I, my my wish is an Indians-Mets World Series, you know, because that's what my whole house is, Mets or Indians fans. And it would be fun to see them clash. 
Um, so but, are you the are you the kind of baseball fan where you can just genuinely appreciate the game for being the game, no matter who's playing, or if the Indians aren't involved, are you just kind of like, eh, whatever? No, I. So going back to the 2016 World Series, all throughout it, I was rooting for the Cubs just because of the history, just because of the drought. Yeah. Uh, if the Indians didn't win, I would have liked to see the Cubs won. Um, I do have favorite players based on a few like biases, like history's cool. They're posi- like how dope they are as a player. Like Tatis is yeah. one of my favorite right now, just because he's so yeah. he's great for baseball. He's so swaggy, but yeah, yeah I could. If the Indians aren't involved. I'll, I'll find and decide based on my biases mm. and root for whoever I like. That's a, th- yeah, that's kind of, that's when I crossed over from being the, just, you know, the miserable Met fan into just like, wow, baseball was awesome. And, you know, there's 15 games every night, so I can always find something to watch. I mean, I've really, the last few years, enjoyed staying up to watch the Dodgers just roll in that division. This year, I've been staying up for the Padres, the Dodgers, watch a couple giant games this year. And I was talking about this a couple weeks ago on the show with one of my friends, Chris, and just, it feels like baseball is getting in the right direction. And it's solely because of the players. It's not nothing baseball it's doing. It's just there are so many young and exciting players in the game now that haven't been here in recent years. It's just it feels like baseball is finally turning the corner and having the marketable big stars. Like you talked about Lindor being the face of baseball. Now we've got him. We've got Fernando. We've got Vladdy Jr. We've got Tyler Glasnow. We've got Gary Cole. Shohei Otani, there's just, we've got Liam Hendricks, there are so many exciting players, I mean, I didn't mention any of the guys on the Brewers pitching staff who have been amazing this year, I didn't mention Acuna, it just, it feels like we're turning a corner where baseball might have things to figure out in terms of, you know, the financial side of it, making the game more competitive, but it feels like we have the stars that we didn't 10 years ago. It feels like there's more stars in the game and they're more spread out. They're not all on three or four teams now. I think that's the biggest difference is that teams are becoming more and more equal. Mm. Um, it's not just the Yankees or Dodgers running away with it. Although the Dodgers are just as dominant as usual. Uh, and also a big thing, I think this is going to sound stupid, but is the MLB show coming to Oh, Xbox? of course. Of course. You, everyone I know plays it, and that just gets yep. you more into baseball. So, um, Yeah, video games are a good entry point for that kind of thing. And no matter what game it is, I mean, that's how FIFA got big in the United States. Soccer got bigger yeah. in the United States was everybody playing FIFA. So MLB coming to Xbox, absolutely. I mean, before I came on here with you, I started grinding away. I got to get that Mookie Betts. It's going to take two months, but I'm going to get that Mookie Betts. Yeah, the, the show is such a fun game. Um, and Yeah. Just seeing Tatis, and I think it's just kind of the old generation disappearing yeah. slowly but surely. You know, they're like the people that are mad at swinging for a pitch when you're up three or you have a 3-0 count up like yeah. five runs. Like those people are slowly disappearing, thank God. And I think the game's <laughs> just becoming more fun. Yes. And it's reaching Absolutely. a younger audience. That's I think the, the younger thing, audience yeah. is the most important just so it can grow. Oh, absolutely. I I mean, it doesn't get easier to explain than Shohei Otani, where it's like, yeah, he's going to hit a 450-foot home run, and then he's going to go throw seven innings, you know? It's really hard to one-up that, like, regardless of what sport or who's doing it. uh, This guy is, like, you know, one of the 15 best power hitters in baseball and one of the 10 best starters in the American League. That's a pretty absurd thing. Like, if you told 
five-year-old me or 10-year-old me that someone was going to do this, I don't think it would have been possible, to be quite honest with you. I was always skeptical that he was going to play both ways when he came over. I always figured it would be one or the other. They would get him to either be a full-time player, position player, or a pitcher. I never thought he would be able to do both full-time. I think something that could also help baseball grow, and as tradition as it is, the 162 games, I think shortening the season would help oh, a lot. Yeah. Uh, like during the COVID season, during the COVID season, I just felt like there was a lot more uh, attention on baseball. I think that might have just been because sports were back, but yeah, 162 games is too much, in my opinion. Definitely, I um, agree with I mean, you. Every sport, every sport yeah. aside from football, the season is too long, it's, and it drags out. And like I understand the whole marathon aspect of baseball where it's not whoever's the best team, it's whoever can get hot towards the end and carry the energy. But at the same time, you know, 162 is a fucking ridiculously long season. Like, not only is it fans won't watch all the games, but I, the more games you play, the more chance for people to get injured. Like, big stars like Bieber. Yeah. And then they don't play for 60 days. Hopefully, he comes back soon, but I mean, fans stop watching when their favorite player gets hurt. So just eliminating injuries for the safety yeah. of the players, too. I mean, we've seen it, especially this year, because there was the condensed season last year. So many guys, especially pitchers, getting hurt because they only threw 60 innings last year, 70 innings last year. And this year, you're being asked to throw 200. That is a dramatic increase for, you know, a 12-month period. I was hoping that MLB would learn from the COVID season. So I think they handled the COVID season very well. And it was yeah. just the right amount of games and playoffs were still, you know, like usual. So I was hoping they would continue to do that, but who knows? Oh, man. Every now and then you're kind of just like, why is it so hard? Why are the people who are in charge of these decisions not good at this? Like this is your entire job is just making baseball better and easier for more people to like. Why can't you understand what other people like aside from yourself? It's so frustrating as a fan. It's the old baseball guys. Yeah, that, that that's the main reason, yeah, is it's the old baseball guys. Uh, all right, Austin, before I get you out of here, I've got two last things to talk about. Number one, how close do you think the Indians actually get to getting in that wild card game? Do they finish within four games of the second wild card see Shane Bieber is supposed to come back soon right yes Shane in, Bieber comes in theory. back when Shane Bieber comes back I think we get hot make a run I think we make the second wild card spot okay so you think you'll jump leapfrog the Yankees and uh, Tampa, I think, are the two teams ahead of you in that at the moment, and maybe on um, Oakland. No, Tampa, I honestly, Tampa's, Tampa's in first. Yeah, yeah. So Boston, the, the Yankees, Oakland, Blue Jays. Yeah, Blue Jays too. Blue Jays are having a nice run this year too. No Blue pitching are, to speak of. Blue Jays are right in front of us right now, which is why this gotcha. year is so important. And okay. what we're down. Yeah, and the Mets are down. Yeah, that, the Mets yeah. I, the Mets always suck against the Marlins for some reason. I don't know why. The Marlins haven't been good in 15 years, and some reason the Mets just can't beat them for whatever reason. And the last question I have before I get you out of here, if you had to predict 
who would be in the World Series? Not who's going to win. Of everybody who's in the mix right now, who do you think will be playing for the Commissioner's Trophy come October? Padres and Yankees. Okay, Yankee. Okay, you're going to have to walk me through the Yankees because they have been pretty miserable in the first half here. I mean, they're the Yankees. They got some big acquisitions at the deadline, per usual. Yeah. Um, and I think they just – I think I want that to happen because I think it would be a cool storyline. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Padres, young, new team against Yankees who have such a big legacy. Um, I don't want the Yankees to go, but I think they will, and I think the Padres okay. will win. So Padres in six over the Yankees, World Series prediction. Okay, I, that's a very juicy prediction. I've seen a lot of people with San Diego. I've seen a lot of people. I mean, pretty much everybody I talk to is either San Diego or the Dodgers to win. Nobody likes Oakland. No one likes Houston, Chicago, the Yankees. They kind of feel like the National League is significantly better than the American League this year. I would agree with that. I think yeah. the Padres and Dodgers are the two most dominant teams in MLB. And I think they're the two best. So, Yeah. All right, Austin, I want to thank you for coming on the show to come talk about the Indians. I will definitely be having you back a little bit closer to football season. We can double dip. We can do the Browns and Ohio State in the same episode because both of those teams have expectations. And it's kind of weird to say that out loud because, you know, the Browns have been the Browns my entire life. So, and I say that as someone who, you know, I've got two Baker Mayfield jerseys, two Johnny Manziel jerseys on the rack behind me. So, like, I've been in on the Cleveland hype for a while with the Browns and wanting them to turn it around. And it's genuinely exciting that the Browns should be good this year. 13-4 and four this year, baby. It's a good prediction. I like that number. I like that number. All right. I want to thank Austin for stopping by for this show. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. Tomorrow, we'll be back with Mike Gold. We're going to be talking hockey. Really good episode in store for you guys. I will see you tomorrow.